0: Hello, Combi Nation. My name is Subi Sade. I've spent over a decade in medical device, pharma, and combination product development. Our industry feels complicated sometimes. Drugs, devices, clinical trials, submissions, sterilization, validation, design control, risk management, market access, reimbursement. The list goes on. My goal is mastery. So this podcast is to ask questions I have to people who may have the answers. Each week on the Combinate podcast, I talk to someone about their area to further understand and simplify. Whether you're a pharma person trying to understand the next wave of products, or a device person trying to navigate a pharma system you're unfamiliar with, or a newbie in both areas, I invite you to listen, and together we can simplify by combinating. As I was going through and editing the episode... I was just thinking about how deficient my understanding is in terms of CTD and that's common technical document. And Nidra had mentioned a couple of sections. So I brought her on the show again to to just discuss a few things about the CTD and tell us about how it's kind of used for combo products. So what is CTD?
1: Oh, it is a structure for for preparing a regulatory dossier. It it's a way of harmonizing a group of documents in a way that makes it familiar across different geographies that adopt this this structure. And there are five modules. Module one is more or less administrative information. Module two is what are called quality overall summaries. Some people call them QoS, Q-O-S. Module 3 is chemistry manufacturing and controls information. Module 4 is preclinical and nonclinical studies related to studies in animals. And then module 5 are clinical trials, clinical information.
0: What does it mean when somebody says I work as a Reg CMC person?
1: What they're saying is that they're dealing with the manufacturing aspects.
0: So and they're focused module- on the module three. That's right. Interesting. Is, is it that direct? Like if somebody says, I'm, I work reg CMC, that means that that's their kind of focus?
1: It means that's their focus. And we're talking the entire, when you think of good manufacturing practices, You think about, let's say, a manufacturing location and you have your excipients and your active pharmaceutical ingredients coming in and and how those are manufactured to be the drug substance or API, how those are manufactured to be the excipients. Then you've got those and how they move through the process. And quality is quite involved in all of this, right? How they move through the process to actually be formulated into the finished drug. And then all the test methods associated with with this, the method validation, the the equipment that is used and those validations, even how the equipment's cleaned afterwards, all of those validations, sorts of information that, that is gathered in the and the drug development or finished product development arena. All of that is part of CMC. And then you take it further, you have your final product and all the tests and the shelf life studies that go on for years, your validation batches. I think even before that, you've got optimization batches. You've got your validation batches. And um, then you've got how, how's the product going to be labeled? What's its name going to be? Uh, how, how is that name placed on the label? Well, at the point of labeling, you are in module one, but usually CMC incorporates or encompasses modules one, two, and three, with a oh. huge focus being on module three. Once you have your final product, does it get sterilized or not? How is it palletized? And, and then it gets shipped. That's the shipping validation and where it's going in the world. So, All of this process is module three, and that's leading up to the original submission. Then you've got life cycle management. So if you say, oh, I need more manufacturing capacity, I'm going to add a new line, or I acquired a new manufacturing location and I wanna manufacture as a second source of supply, or the excipient change, so the supplier of the excipient says, oh, we're making a change in this excipient, or we're making a change in the API. All of this, we're, we're moving equipment, we're decommissioning equipment, we're upgrading equipment. All of this, all of these changes need to be assessed, tracked and assessed for the implication of, of what these changes mean, wherever they're being made and wherever that product is going to be eventually put on the market in those countries. And so all of that gets... A, Established through or set up through change control processes. This is all CMC. And the regulatory submissions that take place to inform the health authorities of these various types of changes, they get they get communicated in various forms. In some cases, the manufacturer needs to inform the health authority with a certain period of time notice so that the submission can be reviewed. So manufacturers do a triage and they say, okay, i have got to do a prior approval supplement, which is like, I think it's 90 days. And you do the submission and sometimes it takes longer than 90 days because there's a back and forth or there's data that needs to be done at additional compar- comparative study that says, okay, this is before the change. This is after their equivalent, that sort of a thing. So, it's, it's basically a triage between we can make this change immediately because it's lower risk, or we report it annually on the annual report, or it's 30 days or it's prior approval supplement. So, this is going on across all these different types of changes. And then, imagine across all the, the products, even with one product, if there are various strengths to it, all of this is going on all the time. And that's CMC. And then sometimes, before a batch can be released, let's say by a new biologic, before it's released, actually FDA has to review. So I'm speaking United States at the moment. And FDA has to review data and say, okay, you can release this lot. That's CMC work. So just constant submissions. I think people have a general belief that when a drug's approved, that's all there is. But there's a continuing, ongoing dialogue with the health authorities through the life cycle of the product.
0: So is it required to use CTD format? Yes. And at
1: least in the U.S., in the EU, other countries have, have adopted it. I, I, I don't know if all the countries that have adopted it make it mandatory or have made it mandatory. But so I do But, know but that in,
0: the, in the U.S., it's for yes. sure required. Same thing in the EU? Yes. Are there any countries where it's not accepted?
1: I don't I don't know if it's that it's not accepted because for example, I used to hear this terminology. And again, I'm more in the on the devices side in the combination product space sure. where I support the device pieces into a drug or biologic filing. But what I used to hear is they there were a list of ICH countries that adopted the CTD, and then there were non-ICH countries. That was at a time, maybe about six or seven years ago, when you could actually do what was called a hybrid. So you didn't have to use the CTD structure in the US. I don't remember about the EU, I'm not sure when it became mandatory, but we had this division of countries, ICH, non-ICH. And now that it's mandatory, and that's just kind of accepted among a lot of countries, what I'm not sure about if any are, is if any countries just outright we don't want this i i have a feeling that all countries pretty much accept it and the reason why i say that is because we talk about creating a core dossier that core dossier has information that we sort of parse according to the regulatory framework of a given land and mm-hmm. that core dossier is based on the ICH ECTD structure that was something that was an extension of ICH work.
0: How are, how are regulatory orgs? Cause I know you've, you've seen a bunch, whether it's on the device side, small molecule, you've done small molecule biologics. You've also done in vitro diagnostics as well, right? Right. Yeah. So, you, so you've seen kind of the gambit of, of, for like, let's say Pareto principle, right? You've seen whatever equates to most of products, if if you haven't seen it, it's probably either super niche or super cringe. But point being, you've also been part of a bunch of different regulatory organizations, how are, or how are regulatory orgs typically structured? Because I asked earlier about what does Reg CMC mean? Sometimes you'll see rec submissions group, regulatory publishing or whatever. And I don't know what all the rules, Pete, but if you could talk about how they are structured to handle that.
1: Sure, there is specialization that has gone on. And it, it, it's interesting, while I was focused on medical devices and in some cases really involved with the regulatory framework that, was, that is very specific to devices and not combination products. But uh, while I was in that space, it seems to me that how regulatory affairs evolved is it became very specialized because I think that I remember a time when you worked in regulatory affairs and it wasn't necessarily divided into CMC and non-CMC. And then there was a function of publishing. And that was what I remembered. And then I remember working on a biologic product for three years and again, handling both the CMC and the non-clinical clinical. clinical. So basically all five modules of the CTD. That was a unique product. There wasn't a a huge distribution of that product globally. So that might be the reason why. But most of what I experience now, and for I would say going back about five years, is that you've got specialization, you, you, you have a regulatory operations, which would be labeling, it would be the submissions part, which includes the formatting of the document, and then the publishing of the document. So you have this sort of operations aspects. What does, uh,
0: when you say publishing, that means actually electronically submitting it? Or what does publishing mean?
1: Well, as far as I can tell about publishing, having never done the job, but when I hand something over to the publisher, what happens is that they put it in such a way that it's bookmarked and it's easy to navigate through the document. And also, if you have a link inside your document that needs to sort of reach out and grab another document that's in another module, let's say, of the CTD. Publishing makes that possible with external links. So it's interesting mm. that, that there's one part of the submissions, the operations part of, of submissions, which I, is, is in regulatory operations often, but that is a function of like internal links. So if you have a paragraph that says, this is found in table one, it links to table one. But then you've got this validation report over here somewhere. And it could be, it's external to the document. It could be in the same module. But then sometimes, especially with devices and 3.2R and the regional section, you're reaching out into module five, let's say. So that's external to the module that you're in even. And publishing seems to put together the entire submission where you can link anywhere easily. So they do a lot of bookmarking, and then they do ultimately make sure that the software format for transmission is appropriate for that, the country where it's going to. And that's yep. what I've seen. And then they usually get the receipt and they say, okay, this has been acknowledged as received by the regulatory agent agency. So that's what it seems publishers do.
0: So all of that is regulatory operations?
1: It can be within regulatory operations, especially if there's not a separate regulatory submissions function. So what I've seen is that regulatory submissions and labeling could fall under operations, as well as regulatory policy. So China, for example, they are really, especially in the device arena, but they are really very quickly evolving regulatory frameworks. So The regulations are being built as we speak and keeping aware of these changes is so important. So there is also the regulatory intelligence piece or regulatory policy piece. That's part of operations. It could also be separate as well. And then there's the compliance aspect of it. So we talked about
0: so sorry, for the, that's all under one bucket. That's all operations, i.e. executing against whatever system you have.
1: Right. And now and we're switching
0: policy, into go ahead. I'm sorry. Policy might be one foot in, one foot out, the other depending. It might be
1: the, its own separate, uh, maybe under compliance, or sure. maybe its own focus area that's not under operations. Yeah. I, I think we could say that it it can it can be fluid in some ways, what focus area falls under an umbrella, but there definitely is more focus and more specialization nowadays.
0: Understood. So compliance?
1: Right. So then there's the compliance aspect. So what if there is the need for a kappa because regulatory affairs does participate in audits. Some of the audits are related to regulatory affairs and how we do certain things. So in some cases there might need to be a capa or at least some follow-up action. So that will go under a regulatory compliance group. We work with quality to understand that and to make sure that we're tracing through those audit findings and how they end up ultimately being resolved. There's also a standard operating procedures, work instructions that govern regulatory. And that, that's an interesting focus all its own because where do I go if I want to understand how to do a submission, let's say to Thailand? Am I gonna consult at SOP or do I just basically working within the regulatory intelligence group to have what the regulations are for Thailand, translated into English, and I consult with the health authorities. website, has to say, are, are there regulations, right? It's interesting that that balance of health authorities are going to have the most up-to-date information compared to an SOP, which might be reviewed only once in a year per policy. So that's interesting. But those sorts of things fall under regulatory compliance, audit participation, change control and whether those are being carried out, assessed in a timely manner, training of regulatory staff. And then we talked a a lot about the submissions part of regulatory, which involves modules three, four, and five, really all of the modules, but it's a new submission for the first time of an NDA or a BLA. And it's also all those life cycle management type submissions that we talked about. But one thing we didn't mention is there are also submissions where, for example, a regulatory authority or health authority might write to a company and say, okay, we'd like to see you have a pediatric indication. Your indication is age 18 and older. Can you work on something for the pediatric population? Or maybe in some cases, It's something that is observed in the older population. Can you get an indication for the geriatric population? Can you study this? And so then we're into potentially preclinical, non-clinical, that usually there's going to be the need for an assessment of what kind of clinical studies to carry out. And then those are modules four and five. So that it would still fall in submissions because you're preparing to make Regulatory submissions to the health authorities where you want to carry out, particularly, let's say, clinical studies, but also submissions about non clinical studies as well.
0: Is w- w- when it comes to submissions, you mentioned new submissions and then LCM type <clears throat> submissions. Yes. Is there, is there, because you, you see some organizations are, say, focused on you have like a pre market development part and then a post market sustaining part. Is that how? Regulatory groups are structured as well, or the submissions typically involve the whole life cycle. I, you may have new, new submissions, you may have supplements that you're t- submitting before a change takes effect, or how are those typically structured in your experience?
1: I think it really depends on the size of the company and how many products there are and various stages. So, and in, in some cases, if there are lots of products that are commercialized, that might be something that's handled by a, a focus group. So that group only deals with commercial products. And then you've got another group that deals with products that are in development. And maybe it's only up to the point where seeking approval. So once all the approvals in the main countries of our target countries of, of interest for commercialization, When that's done, then it maybe is something that moves into the commercial realm for the lifecycle management. And it's interesting because you get gray areas where there might be other countries later on that you want to market, get approval to market in. But that's after the product's been on the market for quite a number of years. And the development team that saw the process through to the initial submissions when the product was brand new might have already disengaged and be on to the next, right? So there's some gray areas there, but depending on on just the size and number of products, there might be a whole group that is further, right? That is further granulated or there's it's more granular in terms of what the focus area under the focus area would be.
0: I see. So let let's take it back to the CTD, because <laughs> we went we went down a regulatory or structure kind of rabbit hole as far as as far as combination products go there's only certain sections that are relevant or is it all relevant
1: so sections that are most relevant when it comes to combination products it's it's the type of combination product where the drug is inside of the device right so but the the device is something that it has a function so it's more than a container, right? So if, if you have a container and the, the drug is just passively sitting in there, it's, it's the container and then the container closure, right? And that's discussed in, in many modules of, in many sections of module three. But if you have the drug sitting into something that has a function, so if it's a cartridge, if it's a syringe that's pre filled with the drug, if it's a transdermal patch, Maybe it's a micro array patch. Maybe it's an asthma inhaler. Those types of products where the drug is within the device, but the device itself has a function. Two is described in most of the section, many of the sections, I should say, not most, many of the sections of the CTD. Other types of, of combination products like cross-label, or co-packaged, depending on how they're co-packaged, they're going to be there are going to be fewer sections and more high-level information where you can describe the device uh, because the the structure of the CTD was really intended for drugs and biologics. Devices can fit, but they fit into sort of the regional information, which is three two R. So it's in module three, but you can designate a section of module three that is just dedicated to your device that has information that really doesn't fit anywhere else. And what's interesting is that with devices, they are under design controls, whereas drugs and biologics are chemistry and manufacturing controls. If you have a cross labeled device, let's say it's a laser. Your laser is not packaged together and shipped together with your drug most likely. Also, it is not necessarily, most of the time, the drug's not going to be embedded within the laser. But you still want to associate this la- laser with, with your drug or biologic. So you create a, co- a cross-labeled situation. Well, then the manufacturing, the design and manufacturing of that laser is not something that's going to be described in the drug manufacturing chemistry and manufacturing control section, it might be something where it's in a device master file or it's already approved. So it has its own approval. And
0: and that's where the letter, that's where that letter of authorization that you were talking about earlier comes in. Right. So, so devices have master files just like DMFs. They do. That can be referenced. Where does DMF, whether it's drug or device come in with the CTD is that, is there a link between the two?
1: I would say that the link is only where you have a drug master file and you, you don't have the information that's in that drug master file. How it fits in is that you say in your module three, this information is found in drug master file, and then you give that Section. specific number that's issued associated with that drug master file. Just
0: as a repository reference. Yes. But it's not like it's not like the ECTD submission eventually becomes DMF. You submit a DMF, it sits there and you can reference it.
1: Exactly. That's right.
0: So, what's the difference between 3.2P and 3.2R?
1: So, the R is regional information, and it's a place where you can put information that doesn't especially when regarding the device It doesn't necessarily fit anywhere else. Let's say you have a software device. Your software is definitely not manufactured with the drug. You're not gonna have a 3-2-P7, which is the container, container closure. You're you're not gonna have a 3-2-P8, which is stability. You're not gonna have a 3-2-P2, which is uh, pharmaceutical characteristics, right? It's software. So where do you put information about the software? Well, one place to put it is to, to put it in 3-2-R. When your software is designed to work with the drug, it is in effect, then creating a combination because the two of them work together. So they're cross labeled. And so 3-2-R is the best place to, to put information. And then the P sections, they have to do with describing that, that manufacturing process. And I probably, being a, a bit narrow about that, it's, it's the whole process of, from sourcing your API and, and your excipients, all the way through, you have your final product palletized and ready to ship out. All the body of data that you need to have and documents that you need to have for, for all of that will be described. And those P sections for the final drug or finished drug and then S section. So there's also three, there's the three S part of it as well. So can't forget about those. those you what know, is this, S? It's the drug substance. So part. in
0: terms of just kind of focusing on combo products, things like software, functional performance, so on so forth that are more typically handled by say the device to it, those are typically in the R section, not the P section.
1: If it's a cross-labeled product, for sure. Yeah. If it's a co-package, so let's say you have a a box inside the box, you might have your drug. Let's say it's in a in a vial container, and you you might have something like a syringe just to help, and needle, let's say, just to have this convenience of okay here's your your vial of drug and you've got to get it out of the vial so you could use a syringe and needle to withdraw it and then do something with it right so you might have devices kitted together in the same box so you've got more or less a co-packaged product well because part of the manufacturing process is to place those devices in the box with the drug vial, that gets described in sections of, of module three that are not just 3-2-R. You know, for example, you, you want to make sure that, as, especially like with biologics, right, they can be, that they're stored cold. A synthetic drug, maybe you can store that at room temperature, but a protein, it might need to be stored cold. So if that's the case, are your devices going to, that you sourced, going to be able to hold up to that? Did the manufacturers design them to be stored cold or just used with cold drug, drug product? And so a lot of times you will want to carry out some stability of the whole cross-label, I'm sorry, co-packaged combination product in its container. And it's a uh, box. And so then you're describing that in 3-2-P-8 for the stability. But the description of the characteristics of the syringe and the needle would be something that you describe in 3-2-R.
0: Got it. Understood. So essentially, be- because because, yeah, because, because there's a manufacturing element to it. Yeah. In terms of assembly, that that bit is would fit under P, but something like that is individual characteristic of the syringe and, or the syringe and the needle that would go into R. So that makes sense. What about human factors? Where does that go?
1: So, human factors goes in module 5. It goes under clinical study other. So what I normally do is, because I'm describing a lot of device information already in, in 3-2R, and there, there's no place in particular that I've seen that you could put human factors information in Module 3 except for 3-2R. So what I'll usually do is say, human factors, whatever type of human factor study was conducted, and the information is in Module five and point to it that way. And the reason why is, is because I, I wanna make sure that all the device information gets pointed to from three to R. And in some cases, I'm even pointing, depending on the type of combination product it is, I'm pointing back. It's like a choreography. I'm pointing to 32P7, 32P2. Those are the main, I would say, sections of module three that, I, that I'm pointing to, except for human factors pointing to to module
0: five. Got it. So, what about when people say we're going to submit the summative protocol before executing?
1: Before, okay. So, what they're doing, if it's a combination product and there's already an IND, investigational new drug application out there, right? Because there are other things going on with that IND, clinical studies, safety reporting. So this is for a product that's not yet on the market, but still being studied, let's say. So submitting that protocol would take place through the IND. So this yes. is before executing it and and FDA has requested industry to submit human factors protocols ahead, just because there's been a lot of just an in industry overall, a lot of difficulty where industry and FDA would see eye to eye on human factors related matters. So FDA has invited industry to go ahead and submit the protocol ahead of time. So there can be a dialogue about it. And so IND would be the place to do that. But and,
0: once once you have the data module five and maybe referenced as part of the rest of the device section in 3, r
1: Right. So I'm think I'm thinking of a case where you have Already gone through the so protocol it. submission, you've agreed with FDA, you carried it out, you did your summative study, and you have a report. So that report would go into module five. And, are the
0: mm-hmm. go ahead.
1: Right. So then the submission of that report would be where in module three I'd say, and we did this validation, because 3-2-R is three, two hours a good place to talk about validation, device validation activities human factors, summative being one of them, that I would point outward to module five to say, here's where the report is and other, any other human factors, uh, information that we'd want to provide.
0: And, and the, the documents are submitted in their full form?
1: As far as I've seen, yes. I have experienced a case where FDA said, okay, we know that everything's fine with your, your validation report. You don't need to submit that when you go to submit your marketing application. So sometimes you might receive some communication like that. And sometimes you're invited to continue your human factors study beyond just the initial summative. There might have to be more. So it's kind of a case by case basis right now. Yes.
0: Understood. And then in terms of, it was really interesting, the the documents that you you kind of had me go over. So what... What, because a lot of people in my audience work on, say, DHFs, yeah. what parts of it are typically submitted?
1: So definitely when we're talking about the U.S., it's going to be the shipping validation, going to be the biological risk assessment. So biocompatibility type information, definitely human factors. But I think it's, it's, again, how regulatory affairs, we always say, it depends. If this information is somewhere else, let's say a device master file,
0: mm-hmm.
1: then there might have been submissions already that say to the FDA, look in this device master file, again, with the letter of authorization. And so there, there are certain things that maybe have been reviewed before submitting an original BLA or NDA, in, in the case of combination products. So it depends, but uh, in general, and 3 2 are you're going to want to make sure that FDA has the opportunity to review mentation where they have traditionally come back to industry with questions and with the need of industry to do additional work to address gaps that FDA sees. So I'm speaking very generally in terms of just those gaps that are out there in the world. And that in particular, necessarily my personal experience.
0: Sure. Case by case, you're saying. I suppose the last question I have is what are rolling submissions?
1: So rolling submissions are interesting. And one of the things I've been thinking about relative to rolling submissions is how that works when you have a combination product. Mm. Okay. So rolling submissions are where instead of waiting to submit the entire NDA or BLA at the same time, you might have parts of it that are done sooner than other parts. So if you're waiting for clinical data, for example, and you need to have time to lock the database and crunch the analysis numbers and and all that and create the reports and update other reports because it's a real-time thing until your study concludes. So you might finish the CMC part before the clinical or maybe the other way around, just depending on what the company is involved with in terms of the reason for the submission. So then you say, well, then I'll submit what I have and you get agreement on it. You submit what you have and then you submit when you have the next bit and the next bit. So let's say, for example, you submit your, let's say module three, CMC, but not yet the labeling because the labeling maybe is gonna come a little bit later. So then module one won't go yet, but then I've got a letter of authorization and my module three in my 32R, and my three, two R and so then what, or let's say module three is going at a different time than module five, but I've got my, I've got my human factors data and module five. So that ability to link to other modules that we talked about the publisher does, you can't link if it's not all together so it's Mm. an interesting dynamic you can link later but i I suppose but the rolling submission just allowed a company to do it as they finish but yeah within that i was just thinking well okay combination products how does that work
0: do you mm -hmm. is is it something that you need to get endorsement before you do
1: the company will like will they notify that they'll notify preferences to do a rolling submission and get agreement that that's okay to do
0: Is there significant differences between an EU submission and a U.S. submission in terms of structure?
1: The nice thing is that the CTD structure, and usually there's a lowercase E on there for electronic, that structure allows submissions to be pretty standardized. So, and and again, that concept of a core dossier where you just standardize on the ECTD. For example, I was looking at EMA's guidance for the EU when you have different types of combination products. So the the types of combination products for EU are similar to the US. You've got integral, which is regulated in the EU as a medicinal product, but you need to provide additional information about the device. And that tells you where to provide that additional information. And then you have, so that's similar to cross-labeled. It tells you where to provide that information, and then you've, you've got co-packaged. And, and so what I find is that FDA is much less prescriptive about where to put device information, except that they say human factors would go in module five. In the guidance from EMA, they have a few more sections where they say, you, you should put this here. You should, when you're talking about microbial attributes, if your device is sterile, then you need to put it in this three two p two section of Module Three. So if you're looking at something that can be most relevant globally and you have a very specific statement of where this information should go from one health authority but not from the other, well, then you might go ahead and decide to have that standardized for all the countries. It's really, quite, again, a choreography. I mean, to me, with combination products, it's all this choreography or tapestry where you're sort of dancing back and forth or creating this intricate intricate movement back and forth between the entire BLA to incorporate this holistic understanding of the product in its combination. And the thing is, if you go with the more prescriptive countries' statement of where device information goes, What I find is you're also trying to balance out, Okay, do I need to take this out for it to go to another geography? So it's it's a delicate balance. And um, but yes, countries have their own way that they want to see information, but others are quite silent on it. So you kind of get a free reign.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And so what you're saying is that where there is further definition, you can apply that and still be in congruence with what whatever other countries want. So like yes. a mutually exclusive type thing. Right. As as we close, any any final thoughts on CTD? What what do you recommend people do to try to understand that better?
1: Well, I think probably the best way to to understand it is to have a colleague or even the a particular regulatory f- function that's dealing with, sub- like, like, let's say the submissions function, you maybe do a case study. Because I imagine that this is hard to visualize without a case study. It's just a bunch of words, but a case study can really make it come alive. And I draw upon my experience working in quality and manufacturing and seeing all the GMP processes that that need to take place in manufacturing. And that, that helps me to understand the place of that information in the CTD. And then I think about my experience as a medical writer, writing clinical trial protocols and other regulatory documents that are of a clinical nature and all of, and also experience helping to develop labeling with, with a team of people. But it's all sort of boils down to a case study that taking this lived experience and creating a case study from it and taking somebody through that according to what their lived experience has been. So if you can create a hinge point with someone based on what their experience has been, I think it'll make the CTD come alive for them if they're not working in the regulatory function doing this on a day-to-day basis.
0: Well, very good. Thank you for coming on and talking about CTD, Nidra. I certainly learned a lot. Thanks.
1: Thank you for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about regulatory.